Hey everyone, this is Matty Kay, and this is another edition of The Working Experience. The Working Experience. Route 93 North is almost at a standstill. It's a rough one out there this morning. Snow and sleet. There is no service on the... Stand clear of the closing doors, please. Uh, yeah, folks, we're going to be a few minutes. We have train traffic ahead of us. We should be moving shortly. Y'all need that report ASAP. Where are we on that presentation? Man, HR wants to see you. Did you return that email yet? We have a team meeting at 10. Need to stay late, Bob. Teamwork makes the dream work. They're moving in a different direction. And after the meeting, we'll have a breakout session. Who ate my toast? Where are my hot pockets? This microwave is disgusting. Oh, God, what's that? He was clipping his toenails at his desk. I can't take it Hey everybody, it's March 26. Uh, this is the Working Experience Podcast. I am here with my friend Jay. Hey, what's up everybody? Uh, this is our third podcast. And um, we've been talking about uh, films. And we, we talked about Jay's film, Sunset Park. And uh, kind of dissected that. So if you have not... Um, if you've not heard those podcasts, listen to them because they are very instructive on the trials and tribulations of making an independent film. And uh, I was gonna—I had written down, I was writing down some ideas. Um, did you ever see American Movie? That documentary about that guy in Wisconsin making his film. No, I have not. That that is really good. It's it's very funny and it's very true to life. This guy's trying to make a feature film. He has no money. I mean, he's in debt already before he starts anything. He lives at home. He delivers newspapers. He's this huge movie buff, and he he's quite a character. Um, but that is very instructive because, like, I thought about. Um, I was talking about this with my friend John, who's my business partner, and we were saying that the film industry probably has one of the highest percentage of BS artists, you know, I mean, Wall Street certainly and whatnot, but like it probably, I wouldn't even say BS artists, but like people who they have a great idea for a film and then they, they have no idea how to get past that point. Like they have no idea like how hard it is to actually do it. Yeah. It's a hundred percent true. And actually, I had a meeting this today earlier um, where the gentleman that wrote a script was saying just that. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. He wrote a script and um, it's pretty good. And he's trying to get funding and then he wants to get pre-sales for his movie overseas. But how are you going to get pre-sales? Well, you need an actor. Well, how do you get an actor? You need a money. You get the money, you need an actor. So, good luck. Uh, you know that film 310 to Yuma? Yeah, uh, there's a great commentary track on that from the director who, I can't remember his name, but he also did Copland. Okay. And uh, he was saying he would get, so he's a pretty known guy, I just can't remember the name off the top of my head, but um, he had like Russell Crowe and Christian Bale attached to this, and he still, he and his wife had to put up their own money for pre-production. And he said... Yeah. They were already? Yes. And he said he gives talks at film schools and these kids will say to him, I've got this awesome script and I just don't know how to get money for it. And he, he says, well, when you figure it out, let me know because yeah. I have these two huge 
actors because like westerns are just they're, they're not known for making money so and it's a business and you may have an awesome script but if somebody invests five million dollars they, they want money back right. rightfully yeah, so i mean i would figure that christian bale and russell crowe would at least get pre-sales yeah uh, overseas in different territories but uh yeah that's interesting and i would have never thought that yeah and some and i i saw these on um i think we've all done our share of like the nyu thesis project films when we worked for free and whatnot i mean i, I did probably five or six of those just you know i didn't know anybody i didn't really know how to be a grip so it was like you just go in and you work for free and you you know learn how to do it yeah and i remember this one this one kid his parents obviously had a lot of money we shot in his parents apartment which was like near union square and big big place he went to nyu and i remember thinking like this kid was more concerned about how his hat looked while he was directing than actually focusing on what he was doing like he was always adjusting his hat and kind of looking at himself in the monitor. And I was like, this kid, it's like he, he doesn't spend a whole lot of time talking to the actors. It's like, how do I look while I'm directing? I'm like, yeah, you know. he's probably directing the next Iron Man. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> um, so uh, Jay did his film. I am in the process of doing a short film. And... Um, I think you went the route that a lot of uh, people do. They they get money together and they do a short film and then use that as a basis to say like, okay, this is what I did with my own money and now I'm looking for money. Is that is that you think that process is fairly commonplace? Yeah, I would say so, definitely. I think it's pretty smart if you can get the you know at least maybe. I don't know. I mean, you can shoot a short film for a thousand bucks. You can spend fifty thousand dollars on it. Uh, you know, so um, kind of depends on what. I, I guess working within your means is also a talent to be able to pull something off. Right. Um, the industry obviously helps a lot because you have. I have access to gear and other type of things that maybe people that don't work in the industry wouldn't. You know. Yeah. So, yeah. I don't have to go out and rent everything. I get a lot of stuff for free. And it's also true, like, I know Eastern Effects, like, uh, the guys over there, if, if you kind of go in and plead poverty and tell them, you know, I'm shooting this thing, I really don't have any money, like, a lot, like, they're not going to give you their primo gear, but I found, like, those places are actually fairly generous with that kind of thing. Yeah, totally. I mean, everybody... They're all trying to make money, right? So if they have equipment sitting in their rental house that's not making money, then why wouldn't they rent it to you at a cheaper... Because some money is better than no money. Yeah, yeah. But the issue becomes, uh, I would imagine, I've, I've never done business with them, but I would imagine the issue would become that you need insurance, and insurance gets expensive. Yeah, oh yeah, yeah. See, that's something that like somebody with an awesome script and wants to shoot it those mundane realities i think they do start to kind of crush some people's spirits and it's like yeah it's not all fun you know no i mean the biggest thing that i could tell people out there that are just trying to start out is that it's movie business yes and although i think making movies is the greatest art form art form uh on the planet i truly believe that because of the collaboration and all the different type of artists that come together to make this one piece 
uh, it is a business, and yeah. you have to make money, or else you're not going to be around too much. Yeah. Too long, really, you know? I mean, if you're very independently wealthy, you can make as many films as you want and just show them to your friends, I guess. But, yeah, you're right, if you want to sustain anything. Um, so one of the... I find rewarding, I mean, I like it, is the casting process, but it also makes me feel really uneasy because, number one, I just did this two weeks ago uh, with the studio that I'm working with, and it's, number one, I thought, you know, nobody's going to show up, or I'm not going to find anybody. Like, everybody who shows up is going to be wrong. Like, the first girl who auditioned for a certain part, I was like, thinking in my head, like, did you even read the description of the character? <laughs> like, the character is supposed to be African-American or a, a woman of color. And this was, like, the most Caucasian-looking woman. <laughs> I was like, okay, like, you know, she seemed pretty good, but I'm like, I, I can't, you know, like, that's not even the role, you know? So, right. like, you know, you, it, it gets a little... casting director with the uh, studio? Sort of. I mean, it's a very small operation. It's basically four guys. Um, one of the guys, Zaire, kind of, he troubleshoots for that and he seems to have a pretty good eye i mean he was you know he asked me about it and i said well if push if you're in doubt just give him the benefit of the benefit of the doubt and have him come in and audition because maybe if i can't use him in that role they'd be good for something else so right. um i know a casting agent or a casting director can be very useful it's just that with costs and everything i thought well it's worth wading through more people just to see everybody, you know. And where are you guys advertising on? Are you doing like Backpage? Or? Uh, yeah, they did all that stuff. I mean, they do everything from Craigslist to Boston Casting to these, you know, various websites around in uh, in the Boston area, you know, to, to get people. So, I mean, I've seen some of the stuff they've done. It looks good. They, they seem to cast well, you know, from the stuff I saw on their website, so... You know, and again, yeah. the, I wonder how the uh, I'm interested to see how the talent pool is in Boston. Yeah, it's uh, it's certainly not New York. I mean, I and not knocking just numbers wise. Um, I remember this guy, Jeff Houston. I acted in his uh, he did a independent feature uh, some years ago. And he told me, you know, he put out an ad, no money. He wasn't paying anybody. And the post office, he put it in back backstage and uh, something else. And the post office called him like three days later and said, you got to come down and get this stuff. There were like three bins filled with headshots and resumes for an unpaid gig. Right. I mean, actors want to act. Yeah. It, the competition is, uh, I, I, I mean, I did a little bit of acting and I went on some auditions and then I was like, forget it. I'm not really that interested in uh right. you know trying to wade through all that i mean it's like the competition is somebody told me um her name's karen chilton and she played sharika epps's mother in half nelson the ryan fleck uh movie okay and she she's in sag or she was at the time and she said like two percent of sag actors actually make a living at it and that's SAG. That's not even taking into account all the non-union people out there. Right. So yeah, it's, 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 a tough, 
it's tough, man. Yeah, it's rough. And I mean, it's just you. Like, you, you don't have any product to sell or, like, it's just you. <laughs> it's like, you get paid. Like, I've seen background actors on, like, you know, Law and & Order and whatnot, and they just call them background. They just yell, background! <laughs> they all have right. to... They're getting paid like a hundred bucks a day, you know, and so, yeah, I try to be a little sensitive to that. I try to be, you know, when actors come into audition and, you know, even if right away they come in, I'm like, nah, this person isn't going to cut it, you know, hear them out and see what they have. But, uh, well, that was another thing. Another thing too about that is you never know, they might be right for a part for something you haven't even written yet. Yeah, right. Or it's good to see everybody and, and see what they can bring to the table. And or it was like a really small part, and then you're like, "Wow, that person's great for that part," and I should expand that role because right. they'd really bring a lot to it. And um, sorry, good. No, I was gonna say like it's funny how I would just have in my head for a particular character a person and like a look, a physical look, and everything, and then someone else comes in and I'm like, you know, that person's really good for that. They don't look anything like I thought, but like they'd be good, you know? Right. So Yeah, we had for for Sunset Park we had um the gentleman that ended up playing the sledge. He came into audition for a different role. Um I think he came into audition for the dad. And then I was like, nah uh, the casting director Judy Henderson really liked him. So she's like, why don't you have him read for the sledge and see what it is? And then I think he did a great job. And he added the, the Irish accent, which was cool. Um, he's English, but uh, he added the Irish accent, which I think added a little bit of flavor to the character. And then it's interesting you said, or we were talking about how an actor that like really brings it and you want to write more for them and expand their character. We did that with Rajan. Uh, Gino's best friend. Yeah. He really, I thought he did a really good job. So we added a couple scenes with him and wanted. I wish I could have brought him in more, actually. But uh, it was it was written where he wasn't even in it as much as he's in it now. Yeah, yeah. Well, and it's funny too. You, you always hear about how it can totally go the other way. Like <clears throat> you have a character who you think is really big, and you know you even shoot their scenes and this and that, and then like. I mean, I guess there's just countless stories of actors getting totally cut out of the final product. And, right. you know, I yes. mean, I, <clears throat> I was going to say probably the most famous one is Apocalypse Now, the whole French plantation scene. And they just chucked, that whole scene got chucked. And right. I guess the, sto the story was that the lead actress in that scene didn't even realize it until the movie was in cans. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, and she was very upset. I had to do that with uh, one of the actresses um, in our movie. Well, you didn't see her really because she didn't make the cut, but uh, there's a whole subplot as to why the woman that helps, um, the, the guy that's fighting Gino helps him cheat. <clears throat> and it's because um, she's like a spurned lover. But it just didn't really play as well it was better written than it it came across on screen yeah so we cut it all out yeah so i feel terrible she's really nice the actress and uh you know she's kind of just getting started with her career and it's a bummer but you know it's when it comes down to it it's whatever is best for the movie oh yeah so you know 
I had to, you got to make tough decisions sometimes. Uh, you know, someone told me one time, and I want to see if you agree with this, having edited yours, it, it, the axiom is like, uh, take out the best scene of the movie or the scene that you like the best and then see how it flows. Have you ever heard that? No, actually I haven't. Oh, I don't know how much, I forget who told me that, but it was like, yeah, take out the scene you really, really love that your heart is really set on and just take it out and, you know, see how the movie goes. And I, I was, I don't know. I've always had a lot of trouble with that. Cause I'm like, well, if I really like it, why would I take it out? But as you say, it's sort of like not what I like, but it's what's best for the movie. Right. Totally. Which is probably why you have an editor, not yourself, like, you know, like handing over the footage. Well, I guess you could talk a little bit about that. I mean, I, your wife is the editor, right? So I guess it's yep. a little... But did you have her just do it on her own first? Or were you there yeah, for the pulp? so I think this is a very good workflow, and I would recommend this for your short 100%, is we had the assistant editor on set with us downloading, and when he wasn't downloading, when the computer wasn't busy downloading he would be cutting the scenes up and putting them into their order. Oh. So you know how you you put the slate, scene one, take one, all that. So he would use that and put it into the timeline. So huh. it saved Carrie quite a bit of time where she didn't really have to go through, you know, and as, as the director, I'm saying to the um, script supervisor, you know, print takes two, takes three, and takes four. Take right. one and take six and five are no good. Whatever, you know? Yeah. So he has those notes. He takes the script script supervisor's notes, sits down. He's like, all right, so it's scene one. I'm going to print uh, takes two, three, and four. He takes all of those, puts them in the timeline, and then Carrie sits down. And she uh, there's a lot of work for her to do, obviously, after that. But it's like wading through, not not the garbage, but the throwaway scenes or whatever, the stuff that I didn't like. She doesn't have to do any of that. It's already there for her. Oh, yeah, that's yeah. interesting. Yeah. Yeah, I, it's a it's a really good, efficient workflow. Yeah. You know? And the other benefit of doing that is if something's wrong, say in the print, you know, the light turned off or the camera flickered or something happened that you didn't that we didn't all notice because you know how it is when you're go go go, you got to get everything done. Yeah. Things can certainly slip through the cracks, you know. Yeah. So with him sitting there and he's just looking at the footage, like, oh, like her mic cut out during this. Do you want to do it again or whatever? So, huh? That's it. Yeah, it's a good workflow. Yeah. Just... Yeah, totally, totally. Um, so d what I mean, but would she edit without you there? Would she like put stuff together on her own and then have you come look at it? Oh, yeah. She kicked me out of the room immediately. Yeah, see, that's, I think that's, I mean, it's hard, but it's like a book. Like, if you write a book, you got to hand it over to someone else and say, okay, you read this. And the other person is like, okay, this doesn't make any sense or, you know, whatever it is. Yeah, she has no problem throwing me out of the room. And then I tell her, I'm the boss. She said, oh, is that true? <laughs> no, it's not true, honey. You're the boss. <laughs> yeah, well, you got to, I mean, I, I guess... They have to be kind of your first viewer, I guess. Yeah. You know? Yeah, she is. And uh, and she's really good. And, the, I mean, obviously she knows what I like, too, and what I'm going for. Yeah. So, the workflow is awesome. I love working with Carrie. We yeah. have a blast. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah, and it's, you know, it's really tense, and I know what I want. I could say that for sure as far as whether it's the right choice or the wrong choice. I definitely, I don't really waver one way or the other. Pretty much, for the most part, I know exactly what I want. And, yeah. Uh, you know, she just, it's like, she's great. Because she'll tell me, just relax, stop. Like, I know what you want. I have to get there. It's not just snap my fingers and everything is exactly the way you want it. So go take a walk, go do something else. And then tomorrow you can look at what I've done and then critique it, you know? Yeah, yeah. Because it's, I mean, it's real bothersome for me to be over her shoulder being like, oh, well, can you, all right, let's cut this. And that's, and she's like, just go away. You know? <laughs> I know what I'm doing. I'm a professional. Just, go well, take care of the kids. Yeah. And I guess, you know, the, the writer or director is just kind of too close to the work. I mean, after a while, you know, like my judgment isn't going to be any good anymore. It has, it needs a fresh set of eyes to be like, no, that doesn't work. Like, I know you think it does, but I'm watching this and it doesn't. So you got to learn when to let go. I, I do that with my scripts too, um, is I'll write them and then leave them alone for a couple months. And just put them in a drawer. There, there was a, a script teacher, a screenwriting teacher that, that uh, taught me to do that. And it totally works, 100%. You put it away, don't even think about it for like three months, go back to it, read it, and then see where you, where you go from there. Well, you know, it's interesting because like when I first wrote a script, you know, a long time ago and Chris Garfowl shot it, when he looked at it and some other people looked at it, they were like what are the visuals like these are just pages and pages of dialogue and i was like yeah well it's you know and like i just had no idea so this current uh film or you know short that i'm doing it 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 arose out of an idea to do a movie with no dialogue at all it was just going to be all visuals and i may still do that but it was like yeah, you really got to remember this is a visual medium. And I mean, I'm talking to myself and like, don't say it, show it if at all possible. Like just, you know, stop with the pages and pages of dialogue. Like, let's see it. And I thought, okay. And then I was watching the commentary on Boogie Nights and was that P.T. Anderson? Is that right? Uh, yeah, it was Anderson, somebody Anderson. Yeah. And he said, you know... People like they they kind of poo poo a conversation scene, but he said you can shoot it so it is interesting. So you know there's a happy medium between the two. Actually, John Cleese in uh, his commentary on uh, a fish called Wanda, he said like when there's exposition, because it's like uh, Kevin Klein is explaining to Jamie Lee Curtis something, and he's doing these like ridiculous karate moves. And he said, have the actors like doing something, you know, and, and then and talking. So it's like you got something going on. And I thought like, oh, yeah, that's a good idea. Like have them, have them do something, you know. Yeah, always. You don't want them just standing there talking if you can avoid it. No, I was just watching something. It was some YouTube video or somebody cut a short film and it, it was terrible. It was like this person talks, this person talks, this person talks, this person talks, and the camera just keeps going back and forth and back and forth, and it's like, oh, God, this is painful. I'm trying yeah, to watch that. Yeah, if you're working with really good actors, they'll know that, too. Yeah. They'll say, all right, let me, let me, get a, let me make a peanut butter and jelly sandwich, or let me you know, wash the car, or whatever it is, some kind of action, so you're not just standing there. And sometimes you got to just stand there and talk, you know? 
Well, actually, that's a good, you know, I just, that makes me think of something that when I work with the actors, I'll tell, I'll ask them like, listen, you're doing this, but think of something you're comfortable doing and do that. Like, don't make me tell you what to do all the time. Yeah, no, it's, that's why it's such a great collaborative effort on so many different levels, you know? Yeah, my inclination is always to be like, no, I want you to say the line like this. And occasionally I do. Like, I'm like, no, don't. Because it's also interesting when people come in to read your lines, their interpretation of it. Because I have it just totally fixed in my mind. And then I'm like, wow, that was a really dramatic reading of what I thought was a pretty mundane line. And, you know, it's interesting to hear their interpretations of it. Right. I would recommend doing a table read as well once you cast everybody. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It helps. A lot of stuff got thrown out in the table read. Yeah, it start like even in the um in the casting, I'm like that line sounds very forced like the way it is like that. I need to think of something else. So I'd make notes to myself about the script just listening to people say the lines. Yeah. It's yeah. all in the preparation too, like I said before. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. No, can't, can't prep enough. Um were there any, uh, without throwing anyone under the bus, were there any, like, special demands you had to meet of your cast and crew which threw you for a curveball or anything? Um, no, not really. I mean, no. Everything was totally reasonable. And um, there were some things, it was all just negotiation. There were some things we couldn't do because we didn't have the money that um, one of the actors asked for. But, uh, oh. you know, and I mean, I can't really get into the specifics, but yeah. Judy Henderson, the casting director, does the negotiating, you know? Yeah. Oh, so, okay. I see. Yeah, for she she cast uh, five the five leads. Um, we hired her to do that. Or, I mean, we, we paid her. We didn't pay her what she's worth. She's just great. Yeah. And she liked us, and she liked the script, and... Uh, we were very fortunate to get her. She's she's awesome. I can't wait to work with her again. But uh, she is not gonna pull any punches. So you know, I can't. I wish I could say the story because it's kind of funny, but <laughs> I, I can't really get into it. I gotcha. I gotcha. Um, but I'll just say that she's not scared to tell people exactly what she thinks. So one of the actors asked for something, and she came back to us. It was like, the actor asked for this. There's no way in bleep and bleep that they're going to get it. But I'm telling you, because that's my job. All right, I'm calling them back. Like, before we can even get a word out. You know? <laughs> so, I was like, wow, that's great. That was pretty easy for us, you know? Well, I guess you have to have that go-between. Because you got to work with the actors, and there can't be that tension, you know? Yeah, no. It's, um, it's tough, man. The whole... I wish I could say that making movies was easy at all on any level, but it really isn't on any level. There's no level where you can kind of just relax and say, except for when you're actually in the middle of it and you're in the flow, then it's great. Yeah. You know, when there, if there was a day, I doubt there was, but if there was one day where you didn't have to put out like 18 fires before you got to lunch, right? Then <laughs> you're starting to feel like in the flow and, to me, it comes natural. It feels, it's just a natural place. I feel happy and comfortable as the director, you know? Yeah. So it's cool when it's really, when there's not 18 fires before lunch. Yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah, but you're right. It is all problem solving. I mean, that's basically really the whole is, the whole deal. It's never ending. Even now, um, there are good problems that we're having now with Sunset Park, which is uh, talking about another deal in China to bring in some more money. Um, which is a good thing and then talking with 108 still because we haven't gone we haven't gone global yet because the the owner of the company had just brought in some more sales agents so he thought it would be better to wait until late april to release worldwide um as he's trying to sell some territories so the producer and i have a phone call with him excuse me um next week to kind of get an update and then uh, what kind of marketing campaign we can kind of have leading up to the 20th, which is where we're expecting to, to go worldwide. Nice, nice. Yeah. Well, yeah. so, oh, go ahead, sorry. But still, you know, still problem solving and trying to negotiate. And we've never done this part of it before, the other stuff we've done, but this part is all new. So just kind of wading through and learning. and. Yeah, well, they're good problems to have. Yeah, no, right. absolutely, man. Um, so speaking of which, uh, we haven't talked about the 10 by 10, which you had mentioned to me as a, um, I guess you were working with a management company on this, this concept they were kind of developing. Yeah, so Sunset Park uh, landed me a manager, two managers actually, my day-to-day manager, Nicole Dion, who I've known since high school and is a dear, dear friend of mine. Um, I pretty much just convinced her. She's out in L.A. She's been out there, geez, I don't know, 15, 16 years now. Uh, she's an actress, and then she was working in management companies, working for managers. And then, um, I don't know if she was managing actors before she took me on, but I know she was certainly thinking about doing it. Um, and I just pretty much begged her to take me on because I didn't want to go with a manager that I didn't know and I didn't trust. And I don't know if any manager would even have me because I'm a nobody. So it would have just been good. I know she'd always have my best interests at heart. And um, and if I was going to make anybody money, I'd love to make somebody money that I really care about. Yeah. So it's a win-win, you know, for both of us. Um, the only issue is that she doesn't, she never really dealt with writer-directors. You know, she's all, all actors. So she saw an ad in uh, I don't know newspaper or wherever she saw it at this company Citizen Skull which is a management company and a production company run by Mark Myers um, so he saw Sunset Park and liked it he read the Slingshot Papers and liked it and uh, thought we'd be able to sell Slingshot Papers and make some money together um, so he's the lead manager and Nicole is my day to day manager and Mark has a uh, a lot of connections out in Hollywood. Um, his production company is rep by William Morris. And um, so he he brought me, so whatever, we, we would chat from time to time just about progress and with Slingshot. And I have uh, an outline out there for a children's movie that I'd like to get made. And um, he brought up these two uh, phone apps, Black Pills and Go90. So, Black Pills and Go90 do this. The, the content that they put out are called 10x10s. So, 10x10 10 is 10 10-minute 10 episodes equals a season. 
Okay. So the first feature that I ever wrote um, was always going to be better as an episodic, but I didn't really have time to write it, write a whole season of it at either 30 minutes or 60 minutes, which is what I would have wanted to do, probably a 60-minute episodic thing for cable television. But I just didn't have time to do that with between working and, and writing movies and whatever. So the 10 by 10 is perfect. This, this project is perfect for that um, forum. So I brought them the idea. They really, really liked it. We put together a, a one-page, uh, pretty much series outline, and then I wrote the first three episodes. Mark took those to Go90 when, in like January, I want to say. And uh, they were kicking it back and forth. They kind of liked the idea. I don't know, whatever. And then Go90, uh, they sold the company to another company. So now this new company, um, forgive me, I forget the name, but uh, they want to do five to eight minute episodes, but they want to make them interactive. And so, and they like my idea. So that's the, the updated version. Um, the update on where my status within the 10 by 10 realm is that they like my concept. Um, but they want us to make it interactive. What does that mean? Exactly. I don't know. So. Oh, uh, that's all they said? They just wanted to be interactive? Yeah. So Mark, you know, Mark has a relationship with Go90. Um, so this new company, he's learning, you know, what they like and what they don't, whatever. So essentially, we just came up with some ideas, myself and Nicole and uh, Joey, the the gentleman that produced Sunset Park, and then I've been kicking it around to a couple other people and just put together like five or six ideas that we think can make it interactive. And then Mark's going to repitch it to them, and we'll see what happens, you know? Nice. So the concept is uh, people can watch this on their phone. They watch it in 10-minute increments, and it's like a micro-season or mini-season or however you might term it. Yeah, exactly. It's uh, essentially all said and done. It's like a feature film length, but you can watch it in ten minute pops. You know. Oh, I see. So it's like uh, sort of like a the old school to be continued sort of idea. Well, and the way I wrote mine is um, each episode stands on its own, but like it's not so much like a to be continued, but each episode has a hook. So. Oh, so they can stand on their own, these the episodes? They can stand on their own, but they're all leading towards an ending. Okay. On episode 10. Gotcha. You know? Yeah, yeah. So it's not like like he walks into the room and it's like, dun, 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 to be continued. Right. It's like, oh, this, the transition from episode one into episode two is the hook. You know? So you, would, you wouldn't, like, you couldn't watch episode three first. You'd have to start at the beginning. Well, it's interesting you said that because um, one of the ideas that we have is that, so my concept is it's all over the country um, in three cities, or I guess North America, because one's in Canada, one character's in Canada, one character's in Boston, one character's in uh, Phoenix, Arizona. Right. So one of our ideas is that you could start with you can pick which character you want to start the, the season with. 
and then no matter which one you start with, you'll get introduced to all three characters, and everybody would end up at at uh, episode four. Oh yeah. And then we would figure out something else to do to nice. make it interactive. For you know, we have a couple ideas. I just don't really know exactly what they want. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That is a little hard to uh, to. I guess it's it must be a little hard to translate between you know you and the company like you have your ideas they have theirs trying to get into the middle where everybody agrees right yeah Which, uh, i mean it could be something that they want you know you get to to this door do you go in the door or do you take a left and then we shoot two different i mean that would be like shooting two or three different series within the series yeah you know? and yeah you take a left instead of a right what happens and then it's so we could do that but obviously we have to get paid more because I'll be writing more and whatever. So, yeah. Um, if they really like the concept and they like our ideas for the interactive part, then let's go do it, man. I'd love to write more and, and shoot more and all that. Well, it's just interesting how there's a lot of options out there, you know, nowadays as opposed to like 30 years ago where you basically just had to write a, you know, you could maybe do a short film. Um, but, you know, nowadays with like Hulu and Netflix and Amazon and Yahoo and uh, YouTube and, you know, there's just all kinds of like different options. I was reading uh, an article about, you know, that show Atlanta? Yes. Yeah. Um, about the, the New Yorker had a profile on that guy, Donald Glover. And uh, they were just talking about the structure of different shows now, how like that is the character more so than an actor is like, how do you structure this? And I thought, well, that's really neat to kind of mess around with that a little. I only watched like the first six episodes of the first season of Atlanta, but I liked it. And it, it the structure, was, I wouldn't say it was, I mean, it was still linear, but it did have kind of a different quality to it, kind of like a dreamy ish quality to it which I, I really liked i found that very compelling yeah that's cool i've never seen the show but uh i saw one of their ads that i really liked and he's like kind of flipping i don't know if you've seen it but he's like flipping through different locations okay in atlanta it's cool yeah i watched it on a plane like i'd never heard of it before and you know i had nothing else to do obviously so I watched like six episodes in a row and I was like, has anybody heard of this show? Cause like, it's really like he's managing this like local hip hop guy, Paperboy, And it's, <laughs> it's really like, it, at first you think it's going to be like, okay, like, uh, what's that? Um, ice cube. And, uh, what's the other guy? Yeah. Like you think it's going to be like that, but it's, like when you start watching it, it's a lot more complex and it's a lot, uh, I hesitate to use the trope deeper, but like it does, it is more meaningful, I guess you would say than a, you know, a movie like not, not to, to, to down Friday or anything. It's a great movie, but has a little bit, um, you know, I guess kind of a deeper quality to it. So right. yeah, it's good. That's good. Well, hey man, thanks a lot. We're hitting about 42 minutes, and uh, this was, as always, very instructive. Nice, man, yeah. yeah. Appreciate you having me on again. Absolutely. Well, we'll definitely do it again as I keep wending my way through this process. Cool. Yeah, so, any uh, help I can give, man, I'm down. All right, cool. Well, uh, thanks for listening, everybody, to another edition of The Working Experience, and thanks a lot, Jay. Of 
course. Thanks, Maddie. And let's plug it again. Sunset Park. Watch it. It's on Amazon. Amazon uh, Prime, iTunes, Google Play, Microsoft, uh, whatever their platform is. All right. And uh, it's out there in China if you're in China. So check it out. Cool. Yeah. So uh, do yourself a favor and check it out. Thanks a lot, everybody.